sometimes I think we have, because if you've been in with God for any period of time, it's very easy to lose um, the onness of him, to lose that majesty that he has because we get familiar with God. And that can be like twofold as a good thing and then a bad thing as well because we can become kind of lax in our approach to him. And what we have to remember all the time is who we are talking to. When we come to him in prayer, when we're singing to him, when we're trying to connect to him, remember who we are talking to. We have to remember the holiness of God. Remember him saying that if anyone would see him, you would die. That's the God that we're talking to. That's an amazing thing that even the angels cover themselves in his presence. They don't even look directly at him, and they're calling holy to him. That's the God that we are always going to every time we approach him. Every time it's a small prayer. Every time it's just a simple thank you, Jesus. Remember who you were talking to and that he gave us that access to him. Um, and remember that in the Bible, when everyone, whenever someone got in the presence of God, the first thing they noticed was how sinful they were. It was like, oh, I am unclean. I am not together. And what we often do is we come just asking. We come as if we, God owes us something. Instead of saying, oh my God, the fact that I have access to you as unclean as I am, and as unclean as I tend to stay. <laughs> Let me start off first with, I really don't deserve to even have access to you. You know, and that has to be a heart thing. Like, I get that I don't deserve this, but I'm so grateful for it. And then with this in mind, we have to remember to always approach humbly. That we are always honored when he enters the room with us. That it's not just something we're like, okay, God, I need you to show up. I need you to move. You know what I have. But if when you feel him enter your space, it should be an honor that he came again. Because with this in mind, look how amazing his love is for us and the access that he's granted us. But we have to never forget who we're talking to. And then always asking God for forgiveness for the times we do forget, for the times that we don't start off in an honoring mode, that we're quick to run to him and just say, God, I need da 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 But let me pull myself back. And it's a training of the mind that we have to do to say, look who I'm approaching. I'm going to come to you boldly because you told me I got the right to now. But I'm still going to come to you recognizing that you are beyond words. Right? And that was not my what I'm talking about, but I just got that. Okay, so <laughs> to what I'm going to kind of deliver to you guys today. Um, and the title that I came up with is Lead Us Back to You. So of this year in March, it will be eight years that we have been doing Thirsties. And, yeah, that's like crazy for me. Um, uh, for the fact that this began as me simply trying to find God. After my mother died, 
I was a wreck and uh, I had a whole lot of doubts about God. Me and Jesus were not on good terms. So um, I needed to find him. I had to go a different route than I had ever went before. And thirsty just got birthed from that. It was me searching and figuring somebody may want to search with me. That was really just it. Um, I did not come as if I knew everything. I did not come even every message that was delivered was almost new revelation for me. Um, as I always say, I'm a mere two steps above you just because I got it first and then I'm going to give it to you, but we are on this journey together. I don't stand up here being all astute and a beyond you guys or over you guys. I come here humbly as a simple servant of God doing what I feel he gave me to do. Um, so my pursuit originally was very selfish. It was me trying to find God, but it was really about me trying to make it right for me and God. I needed to understand why I needed to stay with him um, since I felt like he wronged me. So when I began to pray after all of that and I decided that he was going to be the one that I would choose, I told him, I need you to make this right for me. I need you to shine brightly. I need you to talk loudly to let me know I'm on the right path. And graciously, he did it. But I needed God to grant me some understanding of my pain. So when I say it was selfish, it was about me. It wasn't so much about God, but it was about God making it right for me. And that was my original thing. But what he started doing was he started showing me myself. And he started chipping away at my arrogance and my pride. Uh, he allowed me to come to him with pride and arrogance. He allowed me to be uh, very fleshy in my attempts to get to know him. And he uh, scolded me at times from my mouth because I can, the way I talk to you guys is the way I talk to God. So um, I just say whatever's on my mind. And there was times when he did tell me to shut up and Got a little too carried away, sweetie. But he allowed me to come to him that way. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. But he started revealing that if you want to know me, that I'm going to let you get to know me. But you're going to get to know you too. And the requirement was you've got to let me into your life. This is not going to be a one-way street. This is going to be me peering into you as you peer into me. So it was that kind of access that I wanted, he wanted to grant me. And it was extremely uncomfortable. It was not a walk in the park at all because the things that he revealed about me, I never knew were there. And the more uncomfortable it got, the deeper understandings I got. The more uncomfortable and the further he stretched me, the more revelations he granted me. And it was me staying surrendered before him is the reason why I think I was able to get what I got. Um, he wanted me to know him more. He wanted to know me more. He wanted to introduce me to the self that he created, not the self that I was because of my circumstances. Um, he was relentless in his pursuit that when I wanted to pull back, he never let me. He ran hard after me and Whew. these years have been a very glorious struggle. <sighs> mm. 
it was a, like a really pretty pain that I had to endure. Um, Cause what I had to do was get real comfortable with all of who I was. I had to be willing to see the worst of me. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> Cause he tore the veil so that I could be intimate with him. And intimacy is painful at times. Um, intimacy is always uncomfortable when you first start because it is a risk you are always taking. It is not um, easy stuff to let somebody in, even God. Because um, we start off with so many falsities <sighs> um, about who God is, and we don't trust him. And we can be here for a long time and never fall in love with him. And if we don't fall in love with him, we never quite get the access in the relationship that he died for. Um, he didn't die for us to speak in tongues and to come and sit in the church and be baptized and then tell everybody about the scriptures we know and browbeat people about this. He didn't die. He didn't get beat for that. He got beat and died because he wanted a relationship with us. The relationship that was lost in the garden. He wanted that connection again. All this plan was just about getting back to us. That was it. It was not about all that we've created. All these extra rules and programs and uh, stuff that actually keeps us away from God. All of this that he did, that he endured, the sacrifices he made was about getting to me. Because he wanted me. And we miss that over and over and over again. Years and years can pass. You know, months and months, we miss so much. And we still keep doing the same things over and over and over. But wanting God to do so much for us. And he's like, only thing I care about is you. I just want to love you. And why is love so uncomfortable for us? Why does it makes us uneasy that somebody wants that kind of access to us? We got to start digging into that and saying, what is it that's prohibiting me from getting that close to the God that loves me? That God that's so holy. That God that had to do all this just so we could get close. Why don't I want that? And what we have to pray is for God to change our hearts. Because it's a heart issue. It's a heart problem. Is that we don't have desire. I don't desire God the way he wants me to desire him. And only God can change your heart. Only God can make your heart soft. Only God can, can put a belief in you. But you got to seek it. You got to go for it. You got to ask for that kind of thing. But what I noticed, because, like, you have to accept whatever season you're in, okay? Sometimes we want seasons to change, and then sometimes seasons change, and we don't like to change. But um, 
in the season that I stayed in, it was a fast pursuit. It was constant. It was persistent. It was like full-fledged. And then it slowed down. But not slowed down in a bad way. But when I noticed that things shifted, it was like kind of like, what's going on, God? Mm -hmm. And it was like, I need you just to remember what I told you. I need you to remember what we did together and where we've been together. So I'm not going to give you much newness right now. I need you to just remember. And he took me like through a recollection phase of just, this is where you are. And I was like, Lord, I don't want you to feel like I'm not like into this again. Because <laughs> if you want me to go back to where I was and the, and the reading and the pursuing and the all, I can do that again. But it was like, that's not where I want you. I want you just to remember where we've been. And sometimes you got to realize that you got to look back and see where God has brought you. You got to remember the times you've spent with him. You got to remember the revelations that he gave you so that you can say, God, we really are connected. Like this thing we got is real. And it's easy to forget the realness of it. And you never want to forget that. But as that changed, I said, okay, because we all know Ecclesiastes 3, there's a season for everything. It's a time and season. You got to ask God, reveal to me my season. And remember, those seasons were a dichotomy. It was one was good, one was kind of bad. In a kind of a way, but kind of not in that way. Because if we say there's a time to tear and there's a time to rebuild, sometimes that tearing is a good thing. And the rebuilding can be harder than the tearing sometimes. So it's looking at each season that God revealed to me what season I'm in. And I'm not talking about the season that everybody be singing about and stuff, my season coming and all that stuff, because they just talking about some prosperity and everything looking nice and sweet and kind. And Jesus was never about that. He was never about everything working out and being on our, you know, making everything look pleasant and good for us. He never said that stuff. I don't know how we got so far and got there. From the scriptures, it just don't, it's not even consistent at all. So we just messed that up. And then we went along with it. And then we mad at Jesus when things don't work out the way we think it should work out. Because he said he was going to provide my every need. Hmm. But he wasn't talking about what you think is your need. Those are just wants. So then, after I realized that I was in the recollection phase, right? Then it was like, okay, I need more though. Like, this is great Jesus that we're remembering, but I feel like I'm missing something. Like, I know I didn't get deep enough. Like, I know there's way more to you that I need to be, that needs to be revealed to me. There's way more layers to you because you were finite and I can't figure you out. And, and I mean, infinite, right? Infinite's the one that's forever, right? Yeah. So, you're infinite. <laughs> um, and I can't figure out and all of that. So, that means there's more. So, let's just get back to that. Right, I'm ready. At least I think I'm ready. So uh, this is where kind of I am now. So in my search of one of those eight years prior, right, I look for God in every way that you could possibly look for him, right? Places that I never thought I should look for him. Because, you know, I've been raised in good old apostolic box for all my life. So to go out and delve into other places and to say if I could see God here and there and listen to other people and get information from people that, you know, before you would say, oh, you can't give me nothing. 
was amazing, right? So, I mean, I've listened to, oh my Lord, you don't know how many people. But in the process of that, and read so many different books, in the process of that, I trusted, even though my faith wasn't all that high, somehow I still trusted that God would show me what was him and what was not. That he would drop in my spirit, that's good, take that with you. This, that's a little foolish. Keep going with that. You know, but it's like we have to trust the spirit to lead and guide us. Because if it's there, that's what it's going to do. So you've got to tap into that spirit and say, God, wake it up a little louder. Like, is this you? Is it not you? You know, I need a lot of extras, right? I need some good tappings, you know, a couple of pops. I need all that, Lord, for you so I know. You know, everybody's different. Somebody like just a little quietness. Me, I need a little more extra. So you got to speak a couple of times to make sure I get it right. So um, I was learning faith as I was pursuing faith because I realized that faith is the foundation of it all. Without faith, you can't please God. You know, we sometimes have this saving faith that we know God can save me. I trust that. And I trust he did it, right? Most of the time. You know, sometimes we still don't believe we even fully saved. But in that pursuing faith, I discovered so much about my lacking. So much about my lack of trust. So much about my misunderstandings about what love really is. So God had to train me on all that stuff that I had missed. But you have to come to God not knowing. You can't come to God telling him what you already know. You can't, well, you quoting the scriptures to God. Excuse me, I wrote them. I mean, like, I know what they say. Thank you for sharing your couple of readings, but I know this stuff. Let me teach you what that really means. You know, we have to be willing to be ignorant, uh, which we never want to do, right? Because that cuts at the pride. That cuts at our arrogance. For me to go to God and say, I really don't know. I've been walking this thing 10, 15, 20 years. I can quote it. I know this. I know the doctrine. I know this, this, that. <sighs> okay, God, I don't know nothing. How about that? I just, I, I need you to teach me. All things, let's start over. Because every time you, sometimes in every relationship, you got to renew. In every marriage, there's times when you got to renew. You can't just keep on the same path. Sometimes you got to stop, say, well, this is working. Well, that didn't work for a few years. Maybe we should stop doing that. And, and let's try something new. So it's a constant retraining. It's a constant learning that we have to do. But the devil dropped into us to be prideful. Prideful is what stops us from learning. Pride is what keeps us from having complete access to God and it keeps us from each other because I don't want you to think I'm stupid you know this scripture said Jesus what and you having trouble understanding what that meant and you're saying you don't get that you see so we don't want to look stupid <laughs> with each other so then we start making up stuff instead of just saying I don't know so with that um it was time now for me to pursue God again. Hopefully y'all going to come with me again on my journey. Because we're hoping to do these more regularly this year. We kind of slacked off a little bit. Um, when we first started, it was every month. 
which is how we got to where we are spiritually. And I'm hoping to do that again. So, you know, it all depends if people show up. But if not, we have talked to just a few. So, you know, the crowd doesn't obviously bother me much if it's big or small. <laughs> okay, so, um, <laughs> so it's time for us to put everything aside and pursue God again. Whatever state you're in, just to pursue him again. Just to say, God, I could get closer. I could learn more. I could be better for you. That's just the heart you're coming with. Help me get there. So we need to stop attending church and we need to become the church. We've been lulled to sleep with attending services, patting ourselves on the back because we made the sacrifice to drive down and offer God some half praise. But what we're really looking for is a push and a blessing and a high from God. Make me feel good, Jesus. God doesn't have to accept what we want to offer. In Amos 5 and 21, he says, I hate your show and pretense, your hypocrisy of honoring me with your religious feasts and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and thank offerings. I will not look at your offerings of peace. Away with your hymns of praise. They are mere noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music no matter how lovely it is. I want to see a mighty foot of justice, a torrent of doing good. See, we think that because we show up, God has to receive it. Because I raise my hands and say, thank you, Jesus, he has to accept it. But he knows your heart. He knows why you're coming. He knows if it's pure. So if he's saying, I don't accept what you're offering, you should know that. Now, why we don't know it, is something we should all ask ourselves. Why hasn't Jesus tapped me on my shoulder and said, put your hands down and sit? Be quiet until you get it right. He made it clear what is acceptable to him. We would do well to find out what it is. We would do well to go and do it like he set it up to be. We are so far from the early church and how he established it and how he created it. So I decided that, again, I'm going back after God. I will find him because that's the promise that he gave us. Will you follow if he asks you to sacrifice? Because he's going to make you pay for your walk. He's going to make you pay for the access. Are you willing to sacrifice to get access to him? Will you say it is God when no one understands what he's calling you to do? When you feel like you're left all alone and out there, but he's saying, this is me, will you still do it? Or do you need confirmation from your fellow man? Will you be willing to be rejected because you decided to go after God the way that he requires of you? Far too many say they believe and live by the Bible, but in reality, they do not follow it. The church has been spoiled by philosophies and traditions of man. We would be wise to crack the book open and start reading it with fresh eyes and a fresh spirit. Being willing to reject anything that is not of God, regardless to who says it's okay. We've got to go back and explore the scriptures. And we've got to be able to say this is scripture and this is not. Now, if you choose to follow the not, then say you're following it just because you want to be with the program, but don't say it's God. That's right. 
So know the difference. The problem is we don't know the difference. That's why we all blindly just following whatever somebody says. We have to ask God to open the eyes of our heart. Those who really want God will pray that. John 13, 34 through 35. He says, and so I'm giving a new commandment to you. Love each other just as much as I love you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Honestly ask yourself from this perspective only, how are you doing? If God measured you solely on this, would you pass or fail? If loving each other is the barometer that proves we are his disciples, does anyone know we are God's? He didn't say if you spoke in tongues, if you were baptized in Jesus' name, if you went to church every Sunday. He said the world would know me by how you love each other. That's a very heavy thought. Because then what does the world know of us? And maybe we're not as effective because we haven't quite figured out how to love each other. Because remember he said that the two greatest commandments was loving God and each other. Like everything else was summed up in those two things. We want to get away with the second one. We want to say, oh God, I love you. We want it to be all vertical. There's no horizontal going on up in here. But if he says that's what's required, then that's what's required. So if we got to figure out and work on what stops us from loving each other, what makes us scared to love each other, what puts us at, you know, at, at an uneasiness to let ourselves love and be loved, we got to figure that stuff out. Because that is the one of the most important objects that God said, I need this. It's not okay for us to say, well, you know, I was hurt. So I can't let nobody in. My mama wasn't there for me, so I don't know what love is. You know, like my boyfriend jacked me up. My husband's a dog. All that doesn't count. He said, this is what you must do. So you must do it. We ought to have gotten so carried away with learning scriptures and being able to quote them and knowing this doctrine and being able to say this. Yet, we don't, we haven't quite become quite efficient here. So God's going to ignore it because y'all don't want to do it. He's going to say, okay, yeah, come on to heaven with me. You're not loving people. <laughs> he was like really serious about this point. First Corinthians 13, one through three. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in, and all of heaven and earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. So while you're doing your speaking, and you all crying and snotting, if you can't love others, it's just you noise. Just noise to God. That's really something. Because, I mean, like, we really like our speaking in tongues. Right? It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You and you, when you're down there, you feel God. It's beautiful. But for him, it's just noise. Oh, that's awful. That's, I mean, you think that is just noise. You're like the Snoopy's blah, 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 blah. That's what he's hearing because you you're not doing nothing else. 
You just using me to get your little high to make you feel, oh, God is here. Oh, I still have it. You know, we go and try to really pray hard when we didn't mess up and stuff. Like, Jesus, please let me speak again so I know you didn't leave me. Um, and it's really all selfish. Okay, it's just me. Okay, so it's all selfish in our pursuit to say, <laughs> you know, God is still with me. But for him, it's, you're just making noise. Mm. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what is going to happen in the future, knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? So you got the revelations. You got all this stuff. God's speaking to you. But it don't mean nothing. It has no value. Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. And we would love to make a mountain move. I mean, like we read that scripture, you have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you can move some. We ain't seen a mountain move yet. I don't know if it was like really literal that we could move the mountain or whatever, but I'm sure somebody has somewhere. However, we would love to see that happen. If we could just speak what we want into existence because we have this strong faith, he said, you're still not worth nothing. You're just, you're just a penny on the floor. Because you don't love nobody. That's deep. So you didn't cut out my speaking in tongues. You didn't cut out me being able to prophesy. You didn't cut out my faith. And all of it is nothing if I can't love you. Each other. Not just him. But love each other. If I gave everything I have to poor people, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel, but didn't love others, it would have no value whatever. I am dying for you. I am to be burned alive for Jesus' name, and it didn't matter. And I'm feeding the poor. I'm giving away socks and tents and all of that. And it doesn't matter. That's how heavy love is for God. Maybe we should take a whole year just to figure out how can I learn to love. Because this is, this is pretty heavy. So God didn't save us to come into the building and sit amongst each other and stroke each other's egos. He didn't die on the cross and get up again so we can impress each other with scriptures we know and write up a log of thou shall not. He said, go and make disciples out of men. When the last time you made a disciple? Honestly. I mean, that was like the mandate in the whole thingy. The whole thingy. Okay, Matthew 28. <laughs> he told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So what is required is not us just getting people in the door. 
What is required is for us to disciple other people. But have we truly become a disciple ourselves? Or did we just get baptized and filled? So a disciple of Christ is one who believes his doctrines, rests on his sacrifices, imbibes his spirit, and imitates his example. Okay? So the first one believes his doctrines. The Bible holds many doctrines. It is not just about salvation. So we know often the salvation doctrine. But sometimes that's all we ever emphasize. And we excuse ourselves from learning everything else. As if everything is just going to hinge on that one little thing. If we call ourselves disciples, then it is our job to research the doctrines of Christ. That means what Christ taught. How can I go and make disciples out of men when I'm unaware of what I need to teach them? Right? So the first task is us first being taught by God. We can't do what we don't know. I can't give you what I don't have. So I need to sit down. And that's why with each apostle, he sat them down and taught them. He didn't go to them immediately. It looks like that in the Bible sometimes. Like he just said, okay, you quit picking up that fish and come with me. Right? After he grabbed them, he sat down and taught them. When will you when will you sit down and let God teach you? Just stop moving. Stop trying to prove yourself. He already grabbed you. He liked you. He wants you. He loves you. Be calm. Let him teach you. We running too fast. Salvation is just the entrance. That's it. You just got in. Some of us just still standing at the front door. You've been standing at that front door for 10 years. Aren't you tired? Wouldn't you like to go to the bedroom and lay down for a minute? I mean, you know, like you walk in somebody's house and they only let you in the front room and you just like, and they, they leave you there. They going out, going to the kitchen, getting their stuff, but you know that you ain't supposed to pass a certain part. It's uncomfortable. That's how we are with God. He's like, well, y'all come in. Jesus, I'm going to stay right here. It's safe. I ain't got to go exploring right here. Jeez. And if we think about us building a house, we're supposed to be, you know, building a foundation. All we got is a foundation. Have you seen the house first starting being built? It's just a foundation. That's what we look like. We ain't got no walls up. We ain't got no plumbing. We ain't got no roof. That's why stuff keep raining in on us. Because we just a slab. <sighs> we must make it our business to investigate the word of God. There are 66 books. That's a lot of books. You really look at a Bible, it's so thick. And the writing all small, it's a lot of stuff in there. But really, I mean, it's a lot of words. It's a lot of stories. He compiled that for a reason. Not for us to say, oh, Obadiah, he probably didn't have much to say. Amos, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, maybe I'll pick up Hebrews, but only chapter 2. Like, we have just mixed and picked up little things, and that's all we got. It's not acceptable. Because then I don't know. I don't know my God. He's revealed in the book. So, Lord, give us a desire to want to know more of you. 
give my heart the desire to search for you. Because he said, if you seek me, you're going to find me. The problem is we're not really seeking. You know, God has been lost to a lot of us. We need to form a search party. If your child goes missing, do you just open the door and say, baby, come on. No, you go searching. Have you searched for God like that? Are you climbing trees? Are you looking under stuff? Are you all in the bushes? Have you brought some people along with you to help find them? Because we get to team up. You tell me what you found, I'll tell you what I found. It's supposed to be a community. It's supposed to be a learning experience together. I'm not supposed to find my little stuff and never be able to share with nobody. Because I don't have minister in front of my name. Come on. You are a minister of Christ. Get to learning and get to teaching. Go to make disciples out of men. It's a mandate. So the next step is that you rest on his sacrifices. We love to talk about the sacrifices of God, but we often do not embrace them and we really don't rest on them. Resting, thinking of floating. You trust that the water is going to hold you up. You just lay back and you're just there. Not a whole bunch of thought to it, not a whole bunch of nothing. Are you doing that on the sacrifices that God has done for you? Do you trust them? Do you believe that the sacrifices are real for you? Not that you know that he did it, but that it's real for you. Do you believe that the cross did a complete work? Or are you always on guard not believing that you've been fully redeemed? Always got that question mark over your head. Do you believe that the blood has a perpetual cleansing power? Or are you keeping records of all your sins? Do you come boldly to the throne of grace, believing that the veil was torn for you to have intimate access to God? Do you believe in the complete power of grace, or do you live unsure that he is providing enough grace and mercy to cover your sins? A lot was sacrificed for you to be able to enjoy salvation. If you can't fully rest on them, then you need to rethink your disciple status. The next one that you imbibe his spirit. And imbibe means to absorb or soak up, to take or receive into the mind as knowledge or as ideas. Have you consumed the spirit of God? What you are producing will signify what is running through you. So what are you producing in your life that's supposed to be of God? If it's not fully Jesus, that means you got some parts of you that the spirit is not giving access to. Because when you absorb something, it becomes one with you. Is the spirit penetrating all of you? God wants to take over your entire life, not just portions of it. Part of the reasons why we are limited in our ability to make disciples is because you are not consumed by the spirit. The spirit needs to lead you to the people that you were supposed to reach. The spirit wants to guide your words. If you have the same spill for everyone, you are out of touch. If you are speaking for God and God is speaking through you, you will be effective. 
And affected doesn't mean that they come run and get baptized and run to your church. Effective means that you planted some seeds or you watered some gardens. And then you trust for God to do the rest. Our witnessing gives others a chance to choose God. That's all you're witnessing. You're giving someone a chance to say, I want to make God mine. We are you so others can exercise their free will. You are not witnessing so that you can try to bash somebody upside the head. You're just simply saying, this is the God I know. This is the God that wants to know you. Will you choose? And lastly, we imitate his example. Do you look like God? Have you studied how Jesus did it? Not how religion has slanted some things, but are you lining up with the word of God? How was Jesus with people? Do you look like that? How did Jesus treat those that were self-righteous? Do you do that? When was the last time you flipped the table? You know what I'm saying? How did Jesus respond to his father when he requested things of him? When he told him he had to sacrifice his life, how did Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond to those in need? How did Jesus do it and then follow that example? See, the overall theme in discipleship is knowing God, knowing Jesus. We can't do nothing if we don't know him. Because if you don't know him, the rest of it falls flat. And this truly is why we have been ineffective. And this is the reason why Christianity has such a bad name. It's because we haven't done this. We've created buildings. We've created concerts. We've created rules. We've created all these things, but we haven't done this. We are not imitating Jesus. We're just imitating what we've been passed down to us. And no one stopped and said, hold a minute. Maybe we missed something. I mean, Christianity has been going on for a long time. So there's been a lot of differences. There's been a lot of changing. There's been a lot of new ways to come in, get people, be saved, live for Christ. We got so much new stuff that are we just learning new stuff or are we sticking with the Bible? So you got to look in your own walk. Have I stopped walking the scriptures? And am I walking religion now? Because there's a difference. Hmm. So Jesus made it clear what he required to be called a disciple, which is really the only perspective that counts. So anything else we throw in doesn't really matter. And no matter how saved you feel you are and how close to the cross you want to be, if it doesn't line up with what he said, it doesn't count. And we've all read this, but I was a little taken back this last evening for, for reading this. A large crowd, I'm sorry, Luke 14, and we're going to do 25 through 35. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, your wife and your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple." Take a pause, because that's pretty deep. Because you know I like to take step by step, make sure we don't miss nothing in the process. You must love me so much that if we compared it, 
it would look like you hated everyone else. Now we know. We, most of us not here. Cause I like really, really love my husband, right? And I really, really love my kids. Is it that much higher that we put them side by side? You'd be like, dang, you really hate your kids. And of course, he, when he says hate, he's not talking about like the evil demonic hate because he wants us to love each other. But he's talking about, I want you to love people so much less than you love me. They shouldn't even, we shouldn't even have us on the same scale. Like you should be like, woo for Jesus. Well, we got to be honest. This is how much he requires for us to love him. He wants to be our favorite. He wants us to play favorites with him. We don't always do that. He wants to us to be honest and confess where we stand. If you're not there, you're just not there. Lord, I don't love you that much. Now, who wants to say that? You know, that goes against <laughs> everything we taught to sit there and say, Jesus, I don't really love you that much. That hurts your heart just a little bit to have to admit that. Right? But how can he get us where he needs to get us if we can't confess it? Confession is what heals us. Confession is what gives God access to your heart to make it right. Nothing wrong with a little honesty. And I'll tell you, my own little stuff, it took me a long time to be able to truly say, God, I love you more than. And I can remember the day clearly when it was happening. You know that song, I love you more than something, 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 right? And I never could really sing it because y'all don't be singing stuff that I don't really mean because I figure I should just be quiet. So there's a lot of songs I'd just be sitting there like, well, that's a nice testimony, but I don't have it, right? Um, until I get it, then it's, it's more sincere. So the song came on, it was like, I was right after I had Zoe, right? This was even before all the chaos in my life. But, and I was sitting there saying, I really don't love God more than I love my baby. Cause like that was some heavy, some serious stuff right there. And I was just like, wow, I can't say that. Help me get there, Jesus, right? And I remember the day driving that I was, that song came on and I was singing it and it clicked in my spirit. Oh, you finally love me more than you love her. Like I could say that to you, like it was more than. I had so many more years to go after I made that connection, but still today, you gotta check yourself. Lord, really, are you that much higher than everyone else? Like, cause stuff comes on in our lives. Things happen. God loses his, his, his position a lot of times. But we're so, uh, is the word embarrassed or is the word shameful that maybe we're ashamed that we drop Jesus sometimes? So instead of just saying, oh, Lord, I know I dropped you. Can, forgive me. Because he loves repentance. It's a gift he gave us. He loves for us just to be honest and say, Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm such a mess up. Help me with this. I know I hurt you. You know, it's like just coming boldly and honestly. Help me to love you more. Help me to understand what that's about. Break down my barriers so that I can give you access to my heart. Verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And it is definitely not a safe, pretty, or comfortable place to be. 
So if you real safe and comfy, that means you ain't quite got to your cross yet. And, and again, like I said before, I can't understand how we ever believed that Christ's way was one of pleasure and ease, of pure triumph and prosperity. I don't get how we got there. We are so eager to beg for our crosses to be removed, but Jesus said to carry the cross and still follow me. He didn't say ask for it to be removed. He said put that cross on your back and get to walking with me. But what we do is we stop when we get the cross. And we're like, well, Jesus, I ain't getting no closer to you till you take this off my back. <laughs> right? You just being honest? We like, I'm, a, I'm at a standstill right now because this is heavy. And I, if you want me to get close to you, well, you're going to have to do some working because I, I, I'm telling you I'm too weak to carry it. And he's saying, but you're not. Because in your weakness, my strength becomes perfect. So boast in your weakness. Scream that you got this weakness. Let my strength get perfect in you. Display that to the world. We think as Christians we're supposed to hide the cross. That we bearing. We don't want folks to see we struggling. We don't want folks to see that we can't make it. That I didn't fail. That's not the way of Jesus. He was a public display. When he carried his cross... It wasn't for it just in the box. And he fell carrying his cross. And had to have folks come help him pick it up. And he let them help him. Sometimes our weight is so heavy because we don't want nobody to help us. We too prideful to let somebody come in and lift the burden. But remember we the body? Remember, we all connected, that if I hurt, you supposed to hurt. And if I'm in pain, you supposed to be in pain with me. And then when I'm rejoicing, you're supposed to rejoice with me. You see, this is supposed to be the community. This is supposed to be what we were creating in the body of Christ. But I'm sitting here with the weight on my back and I'm buckling. Some of us is down on the ground and the weight is crushing us. But we won't say, could you lift this for me? Follow how he did it. Follow his example. And then after he got a little strength, he took that cross back. Remember, it was the same cross, too. He took that cross back and kept walking to his crucifixion. The way of the cross is not pretty. But the way of the cross can be lifted if we do it together. So then he gives us a warning and a caution after he tells us we got to hate the folks and we got to carry the cross. Then he says, verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if, if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation, good Jesus, before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Remember what I said earlier about only having a foundation and nothing else. And we wonder why people laugh at us sometimes because we haven't put in enough work into becoming fully Christ. 
And remember Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 and 17 when he prayed for them. And he said, I want you to know the depth and the and the height and the width and the all that of God's love. And then at the end he says, so at last you will be filled with God himself. It's possible to be filled completely with just God. Not there yet, but I'm believing it's going to happen. Verse 31 goes on to say, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. It is essential that we have the knowledge to help people understand and strategize their walk with God. This is a warfare we are deciding to partake in. See, the thing is that we often, a lot of us, a lot of people don't get time to count the costs. We rush them into it. You better hurry and get saved, get down there, get down. Oh, wait a minute. Let me figure out if I want to do this. And we use fear and manipulation tactics to hurry and get people dipped and up. But you're supposed to count the costs. Maybe we should start off instead of with Acts 2.38 with, now this is what it's going to take. I'm going to need you to figure out how to hate the folks you love. And I'm going to need you to be willing to put some crosses on your back and keep walking towards me. Can you do that? Now there's going to be a supernatural power in here for you to be able to get it. But I want you to realize what I'm asking of you. A lot of us walked into this ignorant. And not knowing, and then we got tripped up because nobody told us what was going to be expected. It's nothing wrong with saying, look, this ain't about to be easy. What you lived before is going to be easier than what you live right now. Because before, you got to do whatever the heck you wanted to do. You didn't have nobody over you. You didn't have nobody telling you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you got to love here, you got to do He's about to transform your life. Do you want the transformation? You can't just get heaven. You know, we get saved to get heaven at the end. He wanted a life thing because you're supposed to go out and change the world. Stop being selfish. It wasn't about you. He saved you so you could do his work. Not just to get you to heaven so you can, you know, sip on some crackers and, and now you don't sip on crackers, but sip on some wine and eat some crackers up in heaven. <laughs> It was more than that. Y'all just want to walk on the gold streets, have a mansion. That's why we talk about that stuff all the time. Get to the no mores, no more tears, no more pain. What? Okay, but you're going to have pain here, and you're going to have tears here, and you're supposed to keep walking towards me. No matter how much I throw on you, no matter how much I try to transform you, no matter how much I show you yourself, you're supposed to still walk towards me. That's the requirement. Do you want that, Jesus? Because he's not about to come pay all your bills. He's not about to make sure you're happy. That ain't the Jesus that we serve. Sorry. He died, remember? He got beat. He cried tears of blood. That's the Jesus we're supposed to imitate. I don't know who this other Jesus is. Hmm. The lies you tell. Again, this is warfare. A war. This is easy stuff. We got to stop trying to sell it like it is. We stay on the battlefield. 
We get very little reprieves off the battlefield. He'd give you a little break because he know we need it because we just humans made of dirt. But you're getting back on the battlefield. That's the requirement. Yet folks act like you're crazy when they asking you, I need what's going to be the protective gear? Do I get an arsenal with the fight? <laughs> we don't want folks to ask questions. How does this thing work? Right. But see, we can't tell them how it works because we don't know. And I, I'm embarrassed that I'm struggling. I'm embarrassed that this has been a fight, that this has been hard. So I don't give you that. I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you an Amway speech. I'm going to sell you a whole bunch of stuff to get you in the door. It's going to look wonderful. I'm going to give you a presentation. And then you wonder why some of the folks you brought in, they mad at you because you lied to me. You did not tell me the full truth about how this was going to be. Hmm. Are you ready to fight until the end? You got to constantly ask yourself that. And look, he gets to choose the end. So you may be here way longer than what you want. Just because you say Maranatha don't mean he's coming. He's coming when he's ready. And I mean, if we really look at these scriptures, or should we even say Maranatha? Should we be screaming even so come Lord Jesus? Because I haven't really loved the way I need to. You, you hearing noise, and I think I'm just reaching the throne. Just saying. I mean, some of us is ready, I'm sure. But I'm just saying, a lot of us may not be as ready as we think we are. Again, God doesn't manipulate to get us to walk with him. He lays it out, and then he lets us decide. Remember the rich man? He, you done all the stuff. And he said he looked at him with love. He really loved this man, right? And he said, you got to do you got everything right, but you got to go steal your stuff. And the man, I can't do that, Jesus. And he let him go. If you decide that you don't want to become a disciple, he's going to let you go. Now, he's going to want you back. And you always welcome to come. But he ain't about to beat you down to make you choose him. He's a little too good for that. You know, he, he, he's got a little more clout than having to run behind us. Talking about, look how good I am. The arrogance is what gets us in trouble. Mm-hmm. He told them, this is what I require, and you get to choose. And that is the power of salvation is that we get to choose. Our free will is an amazing thing he gave us because we always get to choose him. He never wanted not to be chosen. You know, like us. Like those people that are there, but you know, they there for other reasons. But all we really want is someone to choose us, to be wanted just for me. That's what God wants. So then he goes on to say, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Have you given up everything? That means you no longer see this world as something you possess. You no longer define yourself by what you have. Your de definition, excuse me, of self becomes whom's you are. So your whole thing is about I am God's. And whatever he puts on my plate, that's what I'll partake in. And whatever he takes off my plate, I will still rejoice. We're not living like that. 
I mean, let's just be honest. We still hold some things very dear to us. Some things we would be devastated if God took them away. And we would be angry at him if he took them away. So, Lord, get us to the place that we're willing to give up everything for you. If God said to you that you had to leave it all behind, could you? People included. Could you walk away from everything for him? Can't say yes. Lord, help me get there. Not there today, but help me get there. And it don't mean he's going to do it. It means is your heart willing to do it? Yeah. I mean, like he said, you can't hold on to nothing. Like this earth is not supposed to be ours. Was it something about, see, if I knew the scriptures better, I could give y'all that one, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, yes, the loose stuff. Thank you. See, that's why we need help. That's why we need help, because I don't be knowing stuff. Verse 34. So we see that when he gives out the dictates of what it is to be a disciple. You got to hate those folks and love him more, right? You got to carry the cross. You got to give up everything. This is a lot, Jesus. You know what? It's easier if we just could get baptized. <laughs> right? And come to church? And even follow the rules. I will put on some stockings and a long skirt. <laughs> right? It would be so much easier if that was the requirements. Okay, I don't cut my hair. I'll keep the whatever that is, the crown glory, whatever. What's that? Yeah, yeah, all that. I'll, I'll do all that. Y'all don't want me to wear makeup. Oh, good God. I'll even let that go. But this is hard. And this is why we created the rules. Because then we could have a good, tangible thing to say, look how saved I am. This is not tangible. Most folks are not seeing this. You don't get to shine on that. This is the real stuff that Jesus is requiring. So verse 34. He said, salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavor is salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, salt is used to make things taste better. Salt brings flavors to light and allows different flavors to be enjoyed. Once the flavor is gone, there's nothing that can be done to bring it back. I find it interesting that he throws this in lastly after talking about the requirements of being a disciple. Because he's pretty much so saying, if you don't follow this, I'm going to have to let you go. Salt is a preservative, a substance added to food products or to organic solutions to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. Us becoming his disciples are to prevent the world from decomposing and becoming full of bacteria. We are supposed to change the world. Go make disciples of men. Go change the world for me. 
I set you here. I need you to do this for me. The alternative, if you do not become my disciple, is that you are neither good for the soil, and salt was scattered on the soil, right? It became scattered on the soil when it became unproductive and barren. You no longer have the ability to stop the world from being productive in their quest to be against God. We're supposed to stand that back. Nor are you good enough to put on the manure pile. Now this, Lord, I'm not. I, that's really deep. I can't even just toss you on there. <sighs> Salt was used there to enrich the manure pile so they could be more productive when used to help to plant and grow stuff, right? So if they didn't put salt there, then the ammonia from the pile would overuse and it would be worthless. It would just be poo-poo on the ground. And what do we do with that? We toss it in the trash. He was pretty clear. Like he didn't really misuse words he didn't make it difficult you ain't got to go pick up a greek book you don't have to you know get a huge exegesis on these verses this is what i'm asking this is what is required if you don't do it goodbye then he said listen and understand what i'm saying like i'm not playing and don't act like you dumb this is what i'm saying this is what i mean so one of the commentaries said, when it comes to salvation, God wants everybody who will come. But when it comes to discipleship, he wants only those who will pay the price. Jesus was not impressed by the great crowds that followed him because he knew their hearts. It is easy to be in the crowd, but not so easy to carry the cross. After we come in and find salvation, we must come to him for our cross. And then come after him in obedience to his will. Now, we ain't been told that you get saved and then you, Jesus was the cross that I got to bear for you. Jesus is the host at salvation supper, but he is the master in our Christian walk of faith. So a lot of times we want Jesus to be our savior. Save me, Jesus. But we don't want Jesus to be our Lord. Because our Lord gets to tell us what to do. Our Lord gets to control us. So save me, Jesus. But I'm going to leave you to just be the savior. <laughs> We're not about to cross any of this other stuff. <laughs> and hopefully just saving me will get me to heaven because that's all I care about anyway. I don't really care about your plan. I don't really care about why you created this whole thing. I just need to get to heaven myself. And then we throw out, well, save yourself. <laughs> so this is what we need to ponder. Okay, I'm almost finished. If the spirit leads, will you go wherever it leads you? Do you know when the spirit is leading you? Do you know his voice? So you got to know the voice of God. And a lot of times we haven't been really taught how to tune into the Jesus voice for me. We know it for everybody else. I can hear it when everyone else is speaking. But for me, when I'm at home, when I'm in my, my, my prayer call, can I hear his voice? 
Do I know where he's taking me? It's essential. You can't do this walk without knowing that. Do you have the faith to trust that it will always lead you to the mission of Jesus? So wherever he puts on your table, whatever cross you got to bear, you have to believe that it's leading you to be closer to Jesus. Stop thinking he's trying to hurt you. Stop thinking he's coming up against you. He's trying to get you to him. And he knows what it's going to take for you to get to him. So you can't see it. You got to have faith. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is my lot in life. Because it's going to get me closer to you. But then that's your choice if you want to take that road. Or you could take the devil road and get back to him. So I was listening to this message and this man said this to me. And I thought I should share it with y'all. Would you rather the thing you have dreaded the most never happen versus having the thing because it made you more like Christ? Would you exchange your Christ-likeness for the disappearance of that thing? Like for me, would I exchange my mom being here over me becoming more like Christ? Or would I exchange me being ostracized? in exchange for me being more like God. So the ostracizing I could take. It was painful, but I could handle that one again. To be more like Jesus, yeah. To get to where I am today, I take that one. My mom thing, I don't know yet. I've been pondering, but I don't know yet. I can't say for full assurance. Like on some good days when me and Jesus are really close, then I say it was, I see what he was doing. I can respect that. But then knowing, having her here, here, like what we had to, oh Lord. And he almost didn't make me have to choose, right? See, but that's a cross I would choose, absolutely not. And I did say that to him a few times. You could have done this a different way. I mean, I, I, you could have did something, you know, kept her here and still use me. Why you have to do that? You got awful drastic with that, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, you just pulled out all the stuff. That was a little heavy. Could you, I don't know, if, did you try some other measures before you just decided on that one? I feel like that was just a break and I never got a tap on the shoulder. Hmm. But look, think about that in your own life. Right? Like, that's huge. That's if, that, if you let that thing get you closer to God. Or did that thing drive you away from God? See, that thing was supposed to get you closer. But we used it the opposite way because the devil knows what we don't know. <laughs> Since we don't know the word and we don't know really the plan of God, the devil gets to slip in and tell us all kinds of things in our ears, how God is against you. How if God loved you, you wouldn't be dealing with that. If you were really his child, why would he put that on you? Oh, you're a failure. See, but I don't have nothing to repute that. I don't, I don't have nothing to come back to the devil with. So I'm quoting some scriptures that I don't believe. And the devil knows you don't believe them. Because remember, the devil does believe them. He's a believer of Christ. He really knows Jesus. Far more intimately than we do sometimes. So, he knows how to switch any word he needs to in this good book to fool you. 
And because we're not astute, he gets to fool us. Think about when he tried uh, Jesus when he was doing the fast. All those things, he came up to him. But Jesus, of course, knew it because he's the Jesus um, and was able to come back at him. But that's what we need to be. I'm not going to be arguing with the devil. I need to be able to be like, no, this, and walk away. <laughs> right? But we can't do that, so we get in this tussle with the devil. And I'm talking, and I'm talking, and I'm talking, and the devil has won because I'm talking to him. I need to stop talking to him. Shut up. This is it. Goodbye. Because remember, at the name of Jesus, he trembles. Now, why isn't he trembling when we scream in Jesus all day? Because he knows we don't believe in the power of Jesus. We rebuking the devil, but he knows you don't have no power behind it, so he's not leaving. You got to believe. Belief is everything. Not you saying words. We could be reading Dr. Seuss. Just because it's the Bible doesn't mean it's powerful if you don't believe. That's why faith is without it. You can't please God. Then we want to act like we believe when we don't. Jesus. This is a faith walk. Right? It's about being able to choose what will come into my existence by being able to choose if I stay with God or walk away from him. Remember, life is just like a bunch of questions. Everything that comes is like, you're going to stay with Jesus, you're going to go the other way. Just a question. It's not a definite. It ain't even a full statement. It's just a question. You get to answer. How beautiful is that? That you always get to answer. You always get to choose. You are never without choice. Amazing. Very powerful. We keep choosing wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. We just keep choosing wrong. And you just have to, Jesus, that's why you got to be so humble before God. That's why you have to be so repentful. And you have to be comfortable with your mess. You know me, Jesus. You know that I keep falling over this same doggone branch. I'm going to need you to help me with this so the next time I step over it. We're not honest enough with you. We come with all this, this speech and foolishness. Heavenly Father. Da, da, da. Will you just talk to Jesus? He's your father. A father that loves you. If you don't have a good one, then he's not that one. He's a good father. He's your friend. He's your brother. He's your husband. He's all those things wrapped up in one person. All this professionalism with Jesus is ignorant. So stop it. Next time you sit down and pray, don't you pray like that ever again. You come to Jesus like he's your friend. Respectful, like I said in the beginning. Humbled by the fact I get to be in your presence. But... That's resting on the sacrifice. That's saying that he made this path for me. So I get to come to you. If you get disrespectful and I'm like, he'll tell you. Trust him. Jeez. Okay. So lastly, the five simple steps 
to have an atmosphere of faith. First, acknowledge you have needs. And it's okay. And you get to tell him your needs. That don't mean he gonna take care of every one of them. It just means that it's nice to know you put it out there. Live in the realization that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. We say it, but I can't do anything without you. That's a whole nother way of thinking. I can't be a good mom. I can't be a good wife. I can't be a good teacher. I can't be a good friend. I can't be a good nothing without Jesus. Period. Two, pray for dependence. Like that's a, almost a cuss word. <laughs> I got to be dependent? We all about being independent. Mm -hmm. This world has pushed us for independence. That is the greatest quality to have. Jesus flipped it and said, you need to be dependent on me. Fully. You don't get no power up in this joint. Show me where I have independence, Jesus. That's got to be your next prayer. Where am I independent? Where am I just doing this on my own? Without thinking about you, without a second thought, I just do it. Because I know I have the ability to do it. Develop trust. And trust is such a hard thing. Most of us are so untrusting. And a lot of us have good reason to be. Good reason to be. But you know, love and trust go together. And since he says you have to, Love me. We're going to just start with Jesus. Right? And we're going to pray for him to do the rest with us good old individuals that's amongst us. We're going to start with Jesus, though. Because most of us don't really trust Jesus. Not fully. So, Jesus, help me trust you. I don't trust you. See, you got to make confessions. I don't trust you. Ain't that hard to say. I said it for a long time. I don't trust you. I don't know you. This ain't working. Because <laughs> this is what's required. Okay. So, you must believe the scriptures and the testimonies of others. When you read the scriptures, if you don't believe what you just read, stop. I don't believe that, Jesus. Help me understand this and take it fully in. He is not impressed with you reading the Bible in a year. He is not impressed with you getting up and reading your scriptures every morning. If you don't believe them and trust in them and they're not powerful, it doesn't mean anything. So if you got to stay on a scripture for a month, stay on that scripture for a month until you fully believe it. It becomes a part of you and he gives you a testimony behind it. You would better have some, a whole bunch of goodness in you that you can refer to when you get down. than quote a bunch of mess that don't have no power. Number four, act on confidence. The thing is, the first three have to be accomplished before you get to act on confidence. Otherwise, we just out here kind of on a tightrope. And a lot of our salvation has been lived on that tightrope. And the wind keep blowing and I keep shaking and, and I done fell off a few times. <laughs> but to act in confidence is that you know it's okay to have needs. That I need to trust you, and I need to be dependent on you. Hmm. Learn to fail into maturity. 
fail into maturity. You are not going to get this right most of the time until God matures you. And we're so against failing. We're so embarrassed by our failures. We're so ashamed of our failures. But if I give every failure to God and say, God, I failed this, make it right. Show me what I need to see. See, that's part of going to that boldly to the throne. And you got to be able to visualize stuff. See Jesus just sitting there with his beautiful self. And him inviting you in. And you literally hand him your stuff. Every failure, you just put it on his lap. And he takes it. Gladly. He said those things are sweet to him. See, we think the opposite. We think that he's disgusted. And revealed by, oh, my God, you're bringing me your stuff? He's like, no, that means you trust me. That means you know I'm in your best interest. So take it to him. Give it to him. He's going to take it, and then he's going to get rid of it. Because remember, he stops remembering our stuff. The God who knows all things can forget my sin. You know everything? And you allowed yourself to forget me and my junk? Serious. Then that's some love right up there. Right? Because we don't be forgetting nobody's junk. Right? We don't forget because we can't forget because we ain't Jesus. That's why. Right? Now, number five. Give thanks. Don't be a brat. You are not entitled to God. Be thankful, even for your failures. You don't get God because you think you want him, because you only want him because he lets you have a heart to want him. So all this is about him anyway. And the thing is that we're always saying, like, God, help me not to fail. Keep me from sin. Keep me from that. But God is saying, there's no failure in me. So there can't be failure in you because we are one. I already sifted that stuff. It's, it's, it's gone. You just don't have the revelation yet. Because you're living still in here, in this earth. Remember, we're already glorified with him. We already have become the perfect thing for him. We sitting up there with him now. Shut up. Um, and I'm stressing, but we already there. So he already created that thing. Remember, because he's presenting us. Without a spot or wrinkle. So everything we're worrying about and fighting about, he's already taken care of. We just got to live it out now. See, that's about that trust. That's about knowing the plan. That's about those scriptures being real for you. That's a good Jesus right there. See, he's worth loving. Because when you get to know him like that, he's not that scary guy. He's not the guy trying to send you to hell and beat you down. He's just trying to love you. Into perfection. Wow, that's something else. I'm finished.